recording live from the home of the classic roast beef sandwich. That's right. The Seahawks are thinking Arby's. It's the Seahawks Nest Podcast. <laughs> yeah, keep going. The oldie but the goodie. Yeah. You've gotten a lot of mileage out of one fantasy football team name. <laughs> yeah, one 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 joke. I'm just going to keep driving it into the ground. Hey, it worked for Carlos Mencia's entire career. Anything worth doing is worth overdoing. <laughs> All right, so I, I'm Nathan Sandon. I'm being joined by my two compatriots. We've got uh, Kevin Garber. Des Moines finest here. That's it. And we've got Eric Ronnebeck, Des Moines other finest. All right, all right. Because <laughs> you guys live like really Eric close was together. clearly wondering where that was, was going. Like, I'm I leave? What should I do? <laughs> I'm mad now. Am I mad? I don't know if I'm mad or not. So uh, yeah, let's uh, let's talk Seahawks football. Uh, the not a lot of events since last week, but I thought that a good direction for us to go, just with the podcast in general, was to start breaking down. You know, the construction of the 53-man roster, right? With the Seahawks are, have... The a, eventual 53-man. The Seahawks have like 90 players signed right now. The 112-man roster. They, they, they're they not going to end up with 90 players, right? Like, it's against regulation. No one frees and Tyler Ott. Only one can survive. <laughs> okay? There can be only one. Long snapper Highlander. So so we have to we have to cut down. You know, we have to cut down... Um, from where we're at to where we want to be. And to do that, we have to figure out what we're going to keep. So I thought it'd be best if we started with the best part of the Seahawks. So we're going to go through the entire roster and name all the people that we just think are cut. This is going to be a great episode. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, we're going to go through, the, we're going to start the entire roster. And we're going to talk about the starters. We'll talk about guys who are clearly going to make it. I think it's good to break guys down in this situation into three tiers. Guys who are in, guys who are going to make the 53 man roster, fringe guys. Guys who could could go either way. Guys who the Seahawks hope are going to they're going to be able to sneak onto the practice squad. Yep, always a good category. Your favorite category. It's, yeah. the, it's it's the, it's one of my favorite categories. Guys, we're going to try to sneak onto the practice squad, and then guys who probably have little to no chance to make it. So those are kind of the four buckets that the uh, the players fall into. And what I thought it'd be fun start with the most iconic area of the Seahawks defense. Let's start with the secondary. That legion right. of boom, Kevin. Name three players who are definitely going to make it. You mean three players aside from Cam, E.T., and Sherm? No, those are the three I meant. Okay. Because <laughs> those are so obvious, I didn't even think we'd have to do that much. So Richard Sherman is 100% back. But but Richard Sherman's a step slower. Are you concerned? Maybe maybe he's getting cut. <laughs> yeah, so Richard Richard Sherman, there was trade controversy, right? He, is he, is he going to stay? Is he not? It was like Facebook drama-level controversy. I mean, the rumors were he asked for the trade. Either way, he's back. Yeah, he's back for at least one more season. One more season. We've yep. got Richard Sherman, like shady. Uh, Cam Chancellor. He's battled injuries the last couple of years. He uh, that season he held out most of the season and then was really bad when he came back. Didn't look like the same Cam. But there have been flashes of the old Cam, especially last year. There were definitely flashes of hey, this is still the guy that can ruin someone's day over the middle, right? Well, this, well, this time last year we were talking about you know does Cam make this team? Does Cam get cut? And he's back now. But again, this could be the last year of Cam. The next gentleman you mentioned has the biggest impact on him because Cam Chance- Chancellor in the box with Earl Thomas playing over the top is a different Cam Chancellor than mm-hmm. Cam Chancellor sans Earl Thomas. Mm-hmm. All right. And I, I do think that we might see some of these other safeties that we'll talk about in a little bit sneak onto the field with Cam creeping up towards the line and almost being like the uh, the le- uh, the Mike linebacker or the, the Will linebacker. You know what I mean? Being the... 
the third linebacker in a lot of situations. Do we want to quickly fawn over these three players? Just should we each take one and do a quick breakdown of what they bring to the team? Sherman and Chancellor and Earl. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I would love to talk about Earl Thomas. So okay, you, you know, you I take yourself can. some ET. I'll, um, I'll leave that for you, even though we all want. If to you talk want, Earl. if you want to see why I love Earl Thomas so much, Patreon.com/slash/SeahawksNest. I made a video about it. Okay, the sound balance of that video sucks, but it really accurately describes why I love Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas lets you play cover two with only one safety. Uh, you, It is like having two safeties back there, and it's not just his speed, which is phenomenal. He's very fast, but he reads the play so well. He is so good at reading the play, and he makes huge breaks on balls and gets to places on the field that he should re- unreason- no reasonably not be able to make it. So Earl, Earl Thomas, he's like Superman out there, you know, and it's, it's really changes the way the Seahawks play defense. You know, we play this uh, this deep cover three or whatever, but it's really just like two guys beating the hell out of their wide receivers, and then just like knowing that Earl's going to make it if the play goes that direction. Yeah, you know, you know? like that is that he is what makes our defense special. He is a deserved Hall of Famer. Uh, I hope that he plays five to ten more years, but I don't know. He seems to like be the kind of guy who's more than willing to walk away if it feels like the time is right. The one thing I'd like to tack on, which I know you'll agree with, is. Earl Thomas, you know those players who don't quite have the athleticism? And you're like, this guy, he makes every play on instinct. He reads it. He's such a worker. He doesn't have the physical tools because he makes up for it with the mental game. It's like, okay, now take a guy with peak physical tools and then put that on him. Yeah, give them the sixth sense. Ed Reed is about the only other center field safety that I can think of seeing live play with the similar level of just no i have the whole back end of the defense it's mine agreed uh so i'll go ahead and take the somewhat much blind uh richard sherman okay so i'll right. leave you i'll leave your your befavored cam yeah i was eric. gonna say eric, eric doesn't end up with chancellor this is a, this is a sham <laughs> so richard sherman is the prototype of a Pete Carroll corner. He is tall, long arms. Uh, he can get vertical to the ball. He plays with a little bit of greed and a lot of an edge. He puts his hands on a receiver at the line. If you want a guy who will just mess with your route inside of 10 yards... Richard Sherman is one of the best cornerbacks in all of football, possibly the best, at just getting you off of your route before you can even start it. They have to scheme around that. And with a guy like Earl playing the back end, that means that on a longer developing play, he really plays into Earl's strength, and Earl plays into his. The other thing Richard Sherman provides is, even though he hasn't had the picks, and I would argue opportunities are a big part of that, he's a playmaker. He has hands, he has ball skills, and that's another thing that you look for in a top-flight corner. We talked a lot last year about how Shed got in place and batted a lot of balls down. Richard Sherman picks those balls off. He creates positive plays for the team. He gives you more possessions, and possessions equal points. He's just a tall, long playmaker, and that's what he brings He's not perfect in every system, but he is dead perfect in this system. Arguably the best quarterback in the league, Aaron Rodgers, you know, spent a game ignoring the side of the field that Richard Sherman was on. Yeah, because he was so far in his head. That says enough. We won that game, too. 
All right, I will go to the uh, the strong safety position, and that's Cam Chancellor. Now, Earl Thomas, my favorite player on the team, my favorite position of all time, and going back for through Seahawks legacy is the strong safety position. That's the enforcer. There is no bigger, better, badder enforcer in the NFL on defense than Cam Chancellor. Uh, you can look at Goodnight Vernon Davis. Google yourself Goodnight Vernon Davis. It's a uh, it's a beautiful <laughs> set of gifts, images, videos. Uh, Cam Chancellor will lay a player out, and he does it cleanly. He does it legally. He's also the type of guy that can come in, like Nathan said. He plays what is it exactly seven yards from the line? No more than seven yards from the Five line. To seven yards from the line. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we send him in, we send him back in medium coverage. The weaknesses of Cam Chancellor, he cannot handle that deep cover uh, unless he's he's way ahead of the guy. Um, there, in the Goodnight Vernon Davis play, he was playing well back of Vernon Davis. Cam Chancellor can get burned, but Cam Chancellor also has good instincts. He knows where to tackle, he knows where that ball's going to go, and in run stuffing, Cam Chancellor is the safety you want. All of our defensive guys come do that, but Cam Chancellor is like, I always talk about that defensive tackle that's a washing machine in the middle of the line that can just plug up a hole. Cam Chancellor is a narrow guy that will come in and plug that hole if you're carrying the ball. All right. So um, we can all say with absolute certainty, these three guys, oh, geez, sorry about that. These three guys are going to make the team, right? So that's three of the roster spots that are just gone. These are these are all going to be taken up. Now I look back at some historic Seahawks depth charts to get information for you guys about how many guy about how many players uh, they they uh, have at each of these positions. Okay, we'll look sh- about nine total, eight nine. So total. so here we go. Um, back I'm gonna go back like four three three or four years. We carried four safeties, four cornerbacks, six outside linebackers, and two middle linebackers. Uh, Last year, we carried five safeties, five cornerbacks, five outside linebackers, and two middle linebackers. So it looks like, to me, there's about 16 or 17 roster spots available between members of the secondary and uh, linebackers in general for the Seahawks. They usually carry eight defensive linemen, sometimes as high as nine or ten. It depends on A lot of this depends on where the special teamers are. And I want to talk about that in a minute, how I think that the special team's ability of one specific guy is going to keep him on the roster, even though it's going to overload them at a certain spot. So we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but yeah, so those three spots are out. Shed is on the team. Okay. Kev, Kevin, what is your, or Kevin and Eric. Eric, what are you guys hearing about Shed? Is he going to be back at the start of the season? Is he going to be back, uh, late in the season? What's, what's, what's the Shed status? So the word is, is that, uh, Schneider likes the, the look of Shed, that he'll be ready to, to, to play the season. If you really read into his words, cause he didn't say, you know, first game of the season, he didn't say training camp. It sounds like he may start the, the season on the pup list, like game three or four is what it sounds like for Shed. Okay. And so I would say if you look at, like Jeremy Lane and a few of the other situations that were similar with an early bye week, that tells me that we should probably expect him to come back after the bye. So that'd be week seven. I'd be really shocked if he came back in the first week, but I don't know. It's, it's not like the, uh, the Tyler Lockett injury. It's hard to, it's really hard to say. You know, it's like it was gruesome and the team believes in him. So I think they're going to give him a shot to do everything he can to get back and playing the way he was playing when he got hurt. That what that being said, he that could be he could literally never play a game in a Seahawks uniform again, and it would not surprise me. 
I would no, be- those are tough injuries to come back from, especially for someone who's change of directions and uh, flat-out speed are not the strength of his game. All right, let's talk about another. Uh, so, Shed, we're going to start him on the pup list, which means that he does not count towards our 17-player limit. Uh, let's go ahead and go with uh, Jeremy Lane, like the next guy who's probably most likely to make it. Uh, Jeremy Lane, Kevin, what do you think about where he's at in his career and where he fits into the Seahawks defense? I think all of us thought the year that we made it to the Super Bowl but didn't win the, the Patriots year two years ago, we all thought that he was coming on. He was going to be the next guy. And he made some plays in the playoffs, but then he got hurt. And he spent last year really floundering. He looked like a guy who was very all or nothing. He was not a stable corner. And he, what I thought was really surprising in a lot of ways was that he had a lot of trouble coming up and filling in the run game. And this defense asks their corners to play the run. And that showed as a big weakness for him. The only thing I could think, though, is when you're coming off a big injury, maybe that was a down year, and this is the year that he's all the way back. Jeremy Lane isn't a big guy, but last year, I mean, he, but he's a strong guy, and last year he looked like a little guy. And maybe that's the way he made tackles coming in late, but, you know, he would wrap up a guy and fall down, and the guy would keep going. Yeah, I thought Jeremy Lane actually had a pretty bad season last year. 48.6 pro football focus rating. Um, I mean, the three main pieces of the Legion of Boom were all in the top, you know, 10 at their position. And Jeremy Lane was like, uh, way down the list. He was, oh, yeah. he had a, he had just an awful season. As bad as Glowinski or Fetty or any of our other offensive linemen were, that's how well he rated out. Uh, in comparison to his peers at cornerback. Yeah. So he was really not good. And uh, a lot of that gets covered up because, you know, he has these otherworldly great tacklers kind of covering his mistakes in Bobby Wagner and uh, Earl Thomas. And it's it's just not, I don't know. I'm not 100% sure that Lane breaks camp uh, with the team. I understand that the contract, it doesn't save us any money to cut him. And he knows the system. And he's 26 years old. And I I don't know. It's There's, there's a... There's a part of me that just thinks, though, that there's a chance that with all the secondary players we got, um, I don't know if he breaks camp with the team. He, he might be the, the surprise cut of the preseason. Here's my working theory. I think there's a very good chance that what will happen is the team will want a guy who's been in the system for a bit. And you're right, we wouldn't save anything by cutting him, but we also don't really lose anything. Now, if we, if we so, cut him post-June 1st, it's literally we pay him exactly what we would pay him Actually, we pay him. We pay, yeah, we pay him exactly what we'd pay him for the season, and he just gets to walk. So, what I think will happen is, I think we hold on to Lane and watch Shed, and if and Lane basically gets as long as it takes Shed to come back to prove he gets that roster spot, that that would not surprise me. Yeah, and it's not. Uh, we're we're up against the cap. Like we, our estimated cap space right now is negative three point eight million or whatever. But if you just look at the top fifty one. Uh, you know, it's closer to like, we have some room. We have some wiggle room. We're not just right up against Not it. much though, yeah. Yeah, we, we have a little to work with. So, um, yeah, that, I kind of think that, that Lane, Lane has a chance to get cut and it's, it's, it is what it is. Uh, and it's because of. I don't think it's a huge loss either. It's because of this group of guys that's going to push him. So let's talk about some of these guys that are going to push for snaps at nickel corner. And other positions. So we talk non rookies first. Let's go with non rookies first. Let's talk okay. about let's talk about Bradley McDougald first. Um, Bradley McDougald, 
is a guy that I don't think the Seahawks thought they had any chance to get in the offseason. He is such a luxury item on this team. This guy would start at safety for a ton of teams. Uh, and instead, for us, he's going to back up our safeties and also probably play nickel corner a lot of plays. And he played for Tampa Bay? Correct. Yeah. And I, I'm really excited about Bradley McDougald. I think that Bradley McDougald is... It's one of those things where I don't understand how it happened. He's on a one-year contract. Get enjoy him while it lasts because he's gonna play great and then never come. He's gonna make his money. Agreed. He's gonna make his money this year, and you're gonna be like, oh man, Bradley McDougal got signed for eight million dollars to buy another team, and it's like, yep, that's what happened because he wanted to come to the Seahawks so he could look good. Oh man, what a great <laughs> fourth round pick we'll get from that. So exactly, we're gonna get a third or fourth round pick out of Bradley McDougal. So it's a win-win-win. Yeah, it's a so big many positive. I agree with you on Bradley McDougald. I think that McDougald, A, is a luxury pick. You're talking about a starting quality player on most defenses. B, he's got that position flexibility, and that position flexibility is going to be really important next year. If you look, we're kind of picking up a lot of those players who are maybe they're a safety or a nickel, or maybe they're an outside guy or a nickel. You know, they have that flexibility. We have a lot of kind of rotating pieces. They talk about that on the offensive line. I think that's super true in the secondary. What What's the age of McDougal? What's he, like 28? That's. Right. I, it feels like he wants to win, and like you said, he wants to invest. Brad McDougal's 26. He's the same age as Lane. Look at that. And he didn't, he's not like, it's not a reclamation project. No, this Bradley is, McDougal had 91 tackles last year, what two a, interceptions. What a what a wonderful human being to just help he us out like that. He's been our uh, second leading tackler in the secondary. Right, he's a he's a good football player. I cannot stress this enough. The fact that he signed a 1.8 million dollar contract to come play for Seattle, it's like Averill all over again. It is like Averill. It, if we sign him to a four, like a two year deal, or if we have any chance of signing him back, I'm sure there were people knocking him up saying, "Hey, we'll give you three million a year for three years," and he said, "No, I'll play for cheap this year." And try to get that big money contract next year. And he I think a good team to bet on himself with. This is an intersection too of like a guy who has a unique skill set that's going to get to play multiple positions. Maybe show people, hey, I'm flexible. I can play free safety on this play, and you can move me over. What you want, the best thing you can do as a defensive coach or an offensive coach is flexible personnel that lets you hit get the other team off balance. The other team's not going to know what McDougald is doing when he's on the field. They're not going to know if he's going to line up in nickel corner. Is he going to line up as kind of a at flex linebacker, is he going to go way back and play safety? And Cam Chancellor is going to come way up to the front. Like, there's so many different things you can do, and then you mess up the look, and the quarterback gets confused. And if it's playing, if it's um, Blake Bortles, he throws an interception. If it's a normal <laughs> quarterback, maybe he just throws an incompletion. But either way, it's it's a positive for the defense. Well, this this signing of Bradley McDougal is basically, you know, the the inception of the thought of, okay, so we're going to play Earl, this other guy. And then Cam is going to move into linebacker position. All right, I so, love that. So we all agree, Bradley McDougald. We would be stunned if Bradley McDougald did not make the team. Yes. That being does, said, does it almost count? makes you want to say that he's going to get cut because that seems to happen every does, year. Too. <laughs> does Bradley McDougald count towards our total of cornerbacks or safety? This I think is, safety. You think that the team is going to count him as a safety when they're trying to build their? Yes. Because we have a lot of safeties. I still think they're going to count him as safety. Okay. All right, so our next, our next guy um, that we should probably talk about is a guy that the Seahawks have kind of. Invested. I should say I think we're carrying five safeties. Okay, yeah, we could, yeah, we can talk about that in a sec. the The next guy the Seahawks have kind of made an investment in. He's going. We're talking corners, so guys or guys who will play snaps at corner, and that's a uh, DeAndre Elliott. So DeAndre Elliott, Kevin, how does he fit into a Seahawks roster? Does do you think he has a what bucket do you think he falls into? Hoping to slip him to the to the uh, into the 
I think he's on the fringe bucket. Fringe bucket, okay. I think he's definitely fringe bucket. He's got physical ability. Assets were given up. We dealt, I think, a seven to Detroit for him. So there was a minimal investment, but some kind of investment. He's firmly a corner. He's definitely special teams. But if a lot of these young guys show out, he's on the cut line. Like, if all these rookies come in and play, and we don't think we're going to be able to sneak any of them, he's probably the guy who's odd man out. Yeah, it's too it's too bad because I feel like there's a lot of potential there. Because so. I feel like the next guy we're going to talk about, if we're going in the order I think we are, is going to be the guy who is on the roster compared to him. So uh, do you think we're going to talk about Nico Thorpe? Uh, we're talking about Nico Thorpe, okay, and great. I think Nico Thorpe is the guy who's going to be – he's the last corner, I'm going to say, has a roster spot um, out of the non-rookies. Nico Thorpe's been around. He's played in the NFL for like almost six years. He's stuck around. Uh, he's been on and off practice squads, on and off uh, rosters. What do you? Th- what is it you've seen in Nico Thorpe that makes you think this is the year he finally solidifies an NFL roster spot? What makes him uh, truly special now? So or, or ready to you? The thing for me is, first of all, if you watch him on special teams, you got to see it a lot, but. When he played, you could see it a bit. He is a good tackler. He will put his nose in there. He plays that role that we like from our corners. He'll come in and put his face mask in on run support. And so I think that helps make him a good fit. I think otherwise, he's basically a body double for DeAndre Elliott. They're very similar as far as height, length, that sort of thing. All right, I was going to talk about Parrish Cox, but guess what? We, we gotta, already yeah. cut him. Okay, so so now we're going to move on to uh, the Rook, who I think is the the player. He's almost definitely in. He's like the fifth cornerback that's going to make it. Uh, that's Shaquille Griffin. I would agree. Uh, Shaquille Griffin. Uh, he has been touted as a quote-unquote perfect scheme fit for the Seattle Seahawks, and uh, I tend to agree. Physical, uh, covers his half of the field really well. Knows how to communicate with other defensive backs. I, I really like the way he fits into our defense. What what side is he playing? Is he playing opposite Sherman? Is he going to be playing inside? I think he probably ended up playing opposite Sherman. I think he's a more of a outside corner than a um, nickel. There's a decent chance, and I'm not crazy about this, but there's a decent chance that the first game he's starting at left cornerback. I don't know if that that seems like a really aggressive. Uh, case for me, like a really aggressive push for him to be starting in the first game. But for me, he's the he's got a good chance to be starting in week one. I think Especially he's going to get if, the Richard Sherman treatment. If Shed is on the pup list, right? I think they yeah. just kind of throw him in there and they say, we know you got tools. Earl will help you. Like, make it happen. Make make some football plays. And uh, you know what? I'm not against it. The kid, the kid has real physical tools. Um, all right, let's hit a couple guys who are probably going to get cut or make it to the practice squad. We got Demetrius McRae. Uh, I'm not even going to bother remembering his name. He's right. cut. Pierre, we picked him up from San Francisco. Uh, another, and one. another guy we picked up from San Francisco, Pierre Desir. Uh, Isn't you, that the same guy you just said? I, no. Desir is a converted safety. He came from the Browns. Uh, he, I, I don't hate him, actually. It's just, I don't know where Neither he... Neither do I. We just have more talented guys. I just don't guys. know where he fits on our team. And if unless he makes it as like a special teamer, which I think is how Thorpe's going to make it, uh, yep. th- then it's then it's a pr- it's a problem. So right here's now, the thing: we're already saying Elliot's fringe. If Elliot's out, then these guys are out. 
All right, so here, here's the thing. Starting opening day roster, we've probably got Sherman, Lane, uh, Griffin, and then is it one of Thorpe and Elliott or both of Thorpe and Elliott? I think it's one of Thorpe and Elliott because I think one of the guys we're about to talk about as a safety is about to get into the corner. I agree with this. So we're going to talk about Tedrick Thompson then? We're going to talk about Tedrick okay. Thompson. Tedrick Thompson, the, uh, the Colorado safety, which you know, if you know me, you know I was very excited that we drafted any of Colorado's secondary. Love it. Tedrick Thompson, who has legit cover skills, was rated out as Pro Football Focus's best coverage safety in all of college football. And I think I see a lot of Bradley McDougald in, in Tedrick Thompson in terms of role. He can play safety. He probably would have a tougher time playing strong safety than McDougald, but he can play both safety spots, and he definitely can play slot corner. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how I see him fitting into the team. Uh, Kevin, would you tend to agree? I completely agree. He's got really quick feet and change of direction. He's a guy you probably don't put on the outside because his long striding speed isn't great, but this guy can read the ball, and especially if you're planning on playing zone, him as a nickel zone guy is nuts. He can hold down the entire middle of the field in nickel zone. All right. So we've got, so now we've got, we're keeping uh, four corners 25, 27, 20, and one. Oh, no, no. 20. We're not keeping DeAndre Elliott. We're going to. No, we're looking at Sherm, Lane, Elliott, Thorpe, uh, Griffin, the, and Thompson. Elliott on the bubbles. Man, his physical tools are so great. I just wish. I think Elliott or Thorpe, one of those two are gone. And right now I'm putting my money in the Thorpe pile. Okay, and uh, Ke- uh, Eric, do you have a call on that? Uh, the the Elliot Thorpe war. Uh, I, war for the- I see what you mean about Elliot's skills, but I'm also on the Thorpe bandwagon. It's mostly from listening to you guys talk about it. But you know, every time like we always talk about how you guys dig deep on the draft and dig deep on the players we pick up, I go back and I read some. I'm a bit on Thorpe. Yeah, and a little the, bit higher. And the Thorpe. special teams thing helps, and I think it's going to help the next guy we're going to talk about. Which I'm going to go first, Mike Tyson. I like Mike Tyson, Kevin. You said that Mike Tyson is one of your least researched draft papers, so we're going to go to draft expert Eric this time, who has done his Mike Tyson research. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to say trying it, Mike to Tyson it. voice, but it's uh, hard to lisp in the research. That's, that's ludicrous. Research. Uh, all right, so Mike Tyson, I'm not like you know the all the all knower, but the man, uh, he has good side to side speed. He has good closing speed. The man can hit. Uh, his coverage skills are very good uh, for his position. I feel like you know he's not going to move into an outside safety role. But he will be able to cover that nickel. I also think that he could cover safety if something, ugh, please no, something were to happen to Earl, something were to happen to McDougal. Uh, he's he's not quite like Cam, where he's gonna you know bust in at the Mike position, but he is a guy who can definitely help out in the run. I like Mike Tyson. All right, he played weak side linebacker at Cincinnati before he moved to safety, and for that reason, I definitely think because they kind of used him like a hybrid nickel there. And so I could see him playing that role. I see, agree with that sideline side speed. <laughs> I yeah. like Tyson to make the roster mostly because of the ability to play special teams. I think he and should be an A-plus special teamer. He'll be guy. a really good special teamer, and he's really aggressive. And but I think he's making it as a safety if he makes it. Yeah, and then so here's a guy who's who I'm actually going to take. I think we should take him out of the safety bucket. And put him in the outside linebacker bucket? And put him bucket? in the outside linebacker bucket. Ooh. Or just in the, like flexible player who destroys souls uh, and that's delano hill okay delano hill's the last guy we need to talk about he's a rookie he's from michigan he is a heavy hitter uh kevin right now we're keeping four cornerbacks we can keep six safeties which makes leaves us at 10 defensive backs do you think all six of these safeties can make it because of their unique flexibility i've already put thompson in the cornerback pile 
okay. personally. So for me, it's five and five. Okay, and that that works for me too. And I I think that all these guys, the thing that makes them special, McDougal, Thompson, uh, even Hill, Thorpe, Hill. These guys can all kind of they're all flexible. They're all kind of hybrids. Uh, all of them can play multiple positions. Thompson can cover and he can play safety. McDougal can play definitely play nickel corner. Uh, Hill can line up in the box and almost be like an extra linebacker, but still give you all the skills of a guy who maybe can cover those tough to cover tight ends like Antonio Gates or Rob Gronkowski. Or Rob, even, you know the, what? No one can cover Rob Gronkowski. <laughs> Let's not get crazy. Or even like a bigger <laughs> slot receiver. Cause some of these teams like San Diego run these big, like six, two slot guys. Mm-hmm. And he's a guy you could put on them and just have out. Right. Him. Like New Orleans used to do with Marquez Colston. Yeah. So, he'll body up on a guy like that. So we're right now at, we're at 10 players kept, which means we have seven spots left for our true outside linebackers and, uh, or sorry, seven spots left for outside and middle linebackers. Yeah. So let's start with middle linebackers. Uh, Bobby Wagner is in. Yeah. Why is Bobby Wagner just the best thing since sliced bread, y'all? Uh, Bobby Wagner is everything that Ray Lewis got credit for being. He is a guy who finds where the running back is about to go and just makes him wish that he didn't suit up that day. He is a human tackling machine. He just, the way that he reads, the way that he sifts through the garbage, he never gets washed out. Nope. He is just a ball carrier seeking missile. He, you could not ask for a better run stuffing middle linebacker. And somehow this dude can cover too. He always picks up a couple of interceptions a year. You don't like he is one of the top three. If Luke Keekley wasn't in the league, this guy would be the all pro middle linebacker every year. Yeah. He led the league in tackles by a lot. It's not even close. Eight he led the league in tackles by eighteen. I was at hundred and sixty seven. Yeah. I God. think the only reason that Luke Keekley gets more credit than Bobby Wagner is because he's white and he plays on a worse defense. Like I'm not and I don't mean that to be like like that guy, but like no, it's great white hope. Luke Luke Keekley gets a lot of credit because he looks like the average NFL fan more for better or for worse. Okay, to and be fair, Luke Keekley is is a little better in coverage. I'll say just just to just Bobby to put Wagner's that out. A better there. tackler and he gets more sacks. I agree with I, that. I, I'm like, just I'm I think, being I'm I think being that other voice. Argument's really good, and that is that he is he's an otherworldly tackler. Three good players on that entire Carolina defense. Yeah, the thing Bobby Wagner doesn't the Bobby Wagner doesn't credit cuz he's he's not the leader of his defense like Luke Keekley is. Earl Thomas is the beating heart of the Seahawks defense. And if you anyone who says otherwise didn't watch enough Seahawks games or yeah, go needs watch to really, the end of the year. He's really get in the film because anytime Earl has been hurt it's like, "Oh, this is not quite the same." And so Bobby Wagner's going to lose some credit because of that. That doesn't make him any less great. He's awesome. I think that he would be great on almost any team. I'm really happy that he's our middle linebacker. Let's talk about a guy who should have got an all-pro nod last year. Let's just get it out of the way. KJ. Who, what has KJ got to do to get on the heat from outside linebacker? He had the 13th most tackles in the league. This guy had an insane season for an outside linebacker. You know, the number that gets me was that, cause he's, uh, cause he's the, um, Weak side linebacker, right? Yeah, and I'm I'm my worst offender. I give KJ a lot of stick. I don't. I think that he's been up and down throughout his career. He had ten tackles for loss last year. Yeah, that's a lot for him. And five passes defense. Those fringe stats were up, and what that translates to on the film when you're watching him on Sundays, you saw KJ Wright had his best year as a cover linebacker, and he got four sacks. Like 
which is a lot for him. Yeah. Well, I feel like KJ Wright. I mean, he's been up and down in his career, but look at last year. Last year was the uh, the first year with without Bruce Irvin on the other side. And I feel like KJ was maybe given a little more responsibility. There's nothing I can really point to why he got better or why he excelled so much. But yeah, he excelled in every facet of the game. And I, I hope that this is what he does from this point forward. Um, yeah, KJ had an otherworldly season last year. I was really happy with his performance. And I, I just can't wait for him to like continue to, if he can continue to play at that level, like he is a, he is a key cog in our defense and like, I take back everything I said about you. I, I mean, maybe it encouraged you. So you know what? I'm going to double down. KJ. <laughs> Not good enough. <laughs> Keep working. Where's the effort, <laughs> bud? Okay. Uh, let's talk about a player that is in the linebacker pot for some people and in the uh, defensive line pot for other people. Cassius Marsh. Where does he fit on this team? Does he have a spot on this team? What, how do you guys feel about Cassius Marsh? He's a defensive line in my head. Eric? He's, he's defensive end. <sighs> Man, I feel like he's, a he's lot depth. Of, I feel like he's depth. A lot of people are saying he might start at third linebacker when we go out and three linebackers. Yeah, both both snaps a game. We do three linebackers. He'll be there. That's that is the that is becomes the story. Then that's that's the fact. Really, he's if, to me. If we're playing three linebackers, he's not on the line at all. Yeah. But having said that, though, he's depth. Let's remember he had twenty two tackles all last year, and he was basically the third linebacker. I mean, unless you go with uh, Morgan, who had you know twelve. So would we, since we're talking about Beckham, though, would we count Delano Hill as like half a half a safety and half a linebacker? And I'm we, calling it five and, do, and five. I and got do, five safeties, five linebackers. And do we sitting. count Cassius Marsh as half of a defensive lineman and half of a linebacker? Like, I think he counts as part of a six-man rotation at defense, or would it be a five or a six-man defensive end? When we're putting it to account, I would put him on defensive line. Yeah. Okay. So then... Uh, I think we might be a little light in linebacker compared I think to every, years, every single one of these linebackers that we'll talk about from this point forward, except for one, is 50-50 to make this team. Yeah. I think- at best. Okay, let's talk about the one that I'm sure is going to make it. Arthur Brown. Arthur Brown is an elite special teams player. He provides good depth at all linebacker positions. He's young. He's athletic. I think Arthur Brown is a slam dunk to make the team. Uh, and I find him quite enjoyable. He never took the leap like I think a lot of people hoped he would. I think there was hope that... Arthur Brown would take the jump at, at at Baltimore and be like the guy, and he never was. But he he's still really solid. He provides great depth for us, and he will play good on special teams. He's Brock Coyle with much better movement skills, and that's a really good because Coyle didn't really have the movement skills to be anything you wanted to see at outside linebacker. Arthur Brown can move, so yeah. I mean he's just uh, he was just like a straight upgrade in that way. And he'd prefer a middle linebacker. Like I think Arthur yeah. Brown Arthur Brown fits best at middle linebacker, but if we have an injury at outside linebacker, I wouldn't be surprised if like you know if KJ goes down that Arthur picks up some of those snaps that yeah. he would get. Um Eric, do you have any Arthur Brown hot takes? Arthur Brown my hot take on him is kinda like uh, Bradley McDougal. Like, oh wow, he came to the Seahawks. Yeah. That's pretty is, cool. It is yeah, kinda that was he, a good sign. It is kinda surprising. I think he had less options than McDougal. I would yeah. bet that McDougal could have got like three nine from the Lions and just turned it down. Uh, let's talk about a guy that I think is a clear cut that a lot of people are probably penciling into their rosters right now. Kevin Pierre Lewis, you are on notice. I do not think that Kevin Pierre Lewis will make the roster. I don't think he's that good. He's always hurt, and he's had plenty of chances to kind of make the leap and never done it. I like your second point because he is he is a little bit injury. I don't know if he's injury prone. He's hurt. He's always banged up. But I feel like, and 
argue with me on this. Pete Carroll really likes this guy. There's something about him that he should have not been on the team before this. Every year he's kind of like, oh, this guy's gonna, he's gonna take the step or he's gonna, he's gonna be better than he was. And I just feel like this guy is gonna stick around for whatever reason. There is a number of guys on this roster that are going to be competing with him for linebacker, for like outside linebacker snaps or, uh, and stuff. And some of them are secondary members and I just don't think he can hang. I don't think he can hang with Delano Hill or the guy I'm going to talk about next, Dewey McDonald. Like, I just think these guys are going to pass him on the depth chart, and he just doesn't really have a chance. And it's not anything bad about KPL. Like, I think there the potential was there. We saw flashes of it every once in a while of, like, a really, really good outside linebacker. But it's just – he just never quite made it. He never made the leap. He and, was uh, – he's almost like Anthony Simmons. If you, if you remember old Seahawks, Anthony Simmons around uh, Matt Hasselbeck, Mike Holmgren era. You always thought like he was going to be the next guy. And yeah, who, Simmons actually started. Yeah, <laughs> and Simmons played middle, but also uh, he just uh, he never made the leap. Though. That or they're like, oh man, he's just, oh he's a second short on that. He's going to get him next time. No, no, he never got him next time. It yeah. just seems like he never put all the puzzle pieces together. You know, that's the thing that you keep hearing about KPL is that they talk about continuously how his like his awareness, the way he reads the field. The way he reacts inside of a play, you hear the coaches talk, and it's like they just never have fully been able to trust him. And I think, you know, he's been in the system. This will be his third year. Man, if it's not now, when is it? Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm saying KPL out. Um, are you guys with me on this, or do you he, think I think fringe? KPL is the cut line? Is he in the fringe? He's bucket? the fringe. He's the cut line. I, I agree with that, Kevin. He's either last man in or last man out. If I had to put him, if if I had to put a name to the spot, I would put him in just because I don't trust that they're going to cut him. And also, I don't, I don't know what he's going to bring yet. I think that there's, but I agree, he's he is the line. There's two guys ahead of him, which would put us at five linebackers. Yeah, let's talk And so he might be fighting for that sixth spot. Let's talk about how there's one of these guys that I think is, uh, is clearly ahead of him. And th- there's a big pile of guys here. And I think that the Seahawks are trying to find one to two guys here that will beat KPL out for the last roster spot, right? They're looking for one or two of these guys to kind of step up and beat KPL for this roster spot. And I think the one who, one who will easily clear that bar is Dewey McDonald. Uh, Dewey McDonald was acquired from the Oakland Raiders. He actually came in as a safety. But we have converted him down to uh, outside linebacker, and uh, I. <laughs> oh, and he's like a Malcolm Smith-sized player, right? He's like six he's, two two fifteen, something six, like that. Six foot two twenty. He's a big yeah. guy. So I, I like, I like, um, I like this player. I think he's good. He's been he's kind of bounced on and off of practice squads and rosters. He's been with uh, Indianapolis, New England, Oakland, Seattle. One thing you'll notice is that all of these, all of these teams are actually kind of good. He was on our team last year. He played in 14, he appeared in at least one snap in 14 games. I think Dewey McDonald is pretty solid to, if we're really shifting to this hybrid 4-2-5 defense, I think Dewey McDonald is the kind of piece that will 100% be here to play on some plays as the like flexible guy, especially if Delano Hill's not ready. Right, that's the um, thing. We're talking about Tyson and Hill making the squad, which I think Tyson could be considered fringe because he's a six-round pick. He might be the guy that they try and sneak, possibly. Onto regrettably. the practice squad, yep. And so McDonald's the guy who's been in the system for a year, and you know how much this defense loves having someone who knows the scheme. Mm-hmm. It's very, very common for them to let someone acclimate to the waters for a year and then put some responsibility on them. We redshirt people a lot. Yep, all right, so then... 
then these next four players, they're all kind of similar. They all have good things and bad things, and they all have uh, less than, I would say, less than... They got to beat KPL. These are the guys that... One of these guys has to beat KPL to knock him off the roster. I think one of them will do it. I just don't have any idea which one. <laughs> so we've got Ronald Powell. Uh, Ronald Powell, legal troubles, appeared on outside the lines. Uh, he's got really good athletic tools. He was a five-star recruit. What, what did he do? Of, coming he out of high school. He for Florida? It's like, it's like a... Is that why he got, he was in trouble? His, his agent, his agent said it was a BS, so I, I didn't even look it up. Oh, to be honest with you. So it was something bad. Oh, well, it was pretty buried. There weren't a ton of stories on it, so it could have been okay. that bad. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So then we've got, uh, we got Ronald Powell. President. Uh, really toolsy. We've got, uh, Keshe Palacio, who we picked up, um, from San Francisco. Uh, I do not know much about him. He played, went to, even though he went to the college that I went to, he went to WSU. Uh, He's, he's, uh, from what I can read, he got, a, oh, I just remember him, he had a lot of sacks in college. He played outside linebacker, he had a lot of sacks, he's not super big. Um, I'm gonna guess this, this is a guy that ends up on our practice squad. Um, I it would seem practice squad or cut, yeah. He's a guy, if I, he's a guy who moves around the field well, but he's just, I don't know, he, he, I don't know if he has an NFL body. Yeah. All right. Michael Wilhoit is 30. He's, uh, but he's had productive years for the 49ers and including an 85 tackle year just two years ago. Uh, he's, he looks like Kimbo Slice's little brother. Yeah. He's, he's, he seems like a decent little, little player. And, uh, maybe that the veteran, the veteran leadership gets him onto the roster. He, I would imagine this guy has a good chance of beating out KPL for that last roster. I think him and KPL are the ones fighting for that spot. I feel like he's the type of guy that, Honestly, it's a it's a show me it's a show me deal, and it's not show me in money. It's show me that you still belong in this league. And then uh, Terrence Garvin, uh, he's he's from West Virginia. He he's he played for the Steelers for a couple years, and then he's played with the Redskins, and now he signed with us. Uh, he's appeared sporadically in a few games. He's fifty two career tackles. I'm not a huge fan of Terrence Garvin. I think that of all the players, he has like. The lowest chance to make it, but if it, Pete and Pete and Co have shown, if he comes into camp and he just kicks butt, he's gonna make the team. So there's always a chance, is what I'm trying to say. So here's where I'm sitting with roster construction. I've got Earl, Cam, McDougal, Hill, and Tyson as safeties. I've got Sherm, Lane, Thorpe, Griffin, and Thompson as corners. I've got Wagner, I got Bobby, uh, KJ, I've got Arthur Brown, and Dewey McDonald at linebacker. I think Will Hoyt and KPL are fighting for that fifth and final linebacker spot. And because I'm calling Cassius Marsh a defensive end, I think we're going to be carrying nine ends and 15 in the back seven. See, and here's, here's the thing for me is for me, I've got, I've got Sherman. I've got Lane, I've got uh, Nico Thorpe, I've got Shaquille Griffin, I've got um, Cam and Earl, I've got Tedrick Thompson, Bradley McDougald, Mike Tyson, Delano Hill. For me, I think counting Cassius Marsh against the linebackers actually makes the roster construction a lot cleaner because you can go Wagner, Arthur Brown, KJ, uh, you can go Dewey McDonald, Michael Wilhoy, and then Cassius Marsh. If you don't do that, if you count Castish March towards the defensive line, one defensive line will be very crowded. You'll see that. You'll see that next week. Uh, but two, uh, that 
that then you you get in a situation where like do you have to decide do you want to include DeAndre Elliott? Uh, you you can bring DeAndre Elliott in easy, pretty easily if you have Cassius Mars counting against your defensive lineman. But you'll see next week that defensive line is very crowded. But I uh, think he's getting snaps at both. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like that's but, that's part of his roster spot is the fact he can do either one. Right, and I think like for me, like I think that they're gonna count him towards linebacker. To I buy kinda, that argument to kind of save a spot on the line because they are they're gonna have a bunch of guys. It's gonna be a crowded um, line, and if like like a guy like Dion Jordan's a good example of a guy who has really good tools, and if he shows up in camp, they need to find a way to keep him on the roster. Like they're not gonna they're not gonna be like oh yeah this this guy has because he's elite athletic tools. Yeah, and if he's a number three pick, something yeah. like that. I mean, you don't get picked number three in the draft if you just suck. So this guy has elite athletic tools. If he shows up in camp and is just awesome, well, the team's going to find a way to keep him on the roster. And one of the ways to find a way is to say, Cassius March, we're going to count you as an outside linebacker and play mostly 4-2. And then you're going to you know, steal some snaps at both defensive end and linebacker. And now we have Deion Jordan, and we can put him in the rotation on rushdowns. Two things. Number one, I buy your argument. Number two, you're right. If a guy sucks, you take him at number two. Mitch Trubisky, folks. Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. He doesn't even know what a hard count is. Uh, uh, you really think Will Hoyt's going to make this team? I think it's down to Will Hoyt or KPL for that last one. One of those two players will make it. Mm-hmm. Um, will Hoyt, only one. Will Hoyt has the veteran experience, and I think he has put in productive NFL seasons, which is something I cannot say about Kevin Pierre-Lewis. Yes. I cannot, I, I cannot with a good conscience say, hey, Kevin Pierre's been a productive NFL player. That's not true. I see a world where... Yeah, I see. I see a world where neither one of these guys could make it. That's that's I, not impossible. I don't. I don't think that's unreasonable at all. Especially if Cassius Marsh only counts as a linebacker. I could see us going like Marsh, Wagner, KJ, Dewey, Arthur, and then saying Delano Hill is a linebacker, and they're saying like that's our sixth linebacker. I'm just thinking yep. like with with Will Hoyt, we don't usually like veteran, we, like older defensive guys don't usually come in and stick. Here's yeah, if we thing. keep Elliott and decide to count Hill as a linebacker, I think that's absolutely what We used happen. to keep a lot more linebackers. We used to keep closer to seven. I think this year it's almost good, clearly going to be six. Be, six like linebackers or linebacker flexible players because we're going to use linebackers less than we used to. Yeah, last uh, year showed that. Linebackers are just not as important to our defense as they used to be. Yeah, again, Bobby Wagner had 167 tackles. KJ Wright had 126. And then it was Brock Coyle with 16 or Cassius Marsh with 22, depending on what you think Marsh is. Yeah. That's, that's a hundred tackle drop off. That's a lot of production. Either way, I mean, those guys were barely defensive play. Uh, like, I mean, they're barely involved in the defense. You're rotation players at that point. All right. So that covers our, uh, our front, our back, or sorry, our back seven. Next week we'll cover a defensive line and I'm going to, I'm going to split and special off. teams. No, I was just going to do running backs, fullbacks, because I think that, there is a lot going on there, and it's going to take a long time. I want to do special down. teams. Let's let's break down this uh, long snapper battle. Okay. Come on, Nathan. Tyler Ott's going to win. No <laughs> Kicker time. Terrible last year. All right, <laughs> um, let's go and move on from that. Uh, Bonus coverage. You just got it. So they, uh, how do you how do you support the Seahawks Nest podcast? You love listening to us. You're out there. You're like you smashing that like button. You're hitting that heart on SoundCloud. You're you went on iTunes and you gave us a five star review because you love us that much. And you love us so much, you want to open up your heart and your wallet to give us a few dollars. Uh, actually, you can do so. Uh, you can go to see, uh, patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest and view some, uh, some sporadic exclusive content, including, uh, YouTube videos with single play breakdowns and, uh, all of our holiday special podcasts, including our in-season Halloween and Christmas specials. And our upcoming 4th of July. 
Ooh. We're gonna do a Fourth of July special. Yep. Heck yes, oh, we are. We're gonna watch Born of the Born of the Fourth of July and and then and riff, the sand and riff tracks it. And you guys are gonna <laughs> have to deal with it. All right. So uh, dark. Yep. Let's uh let's that's that. I'm not gonna go any deeper into that. I'm just gonna head us right into movie club. And I I will be completely honest. I've had a crazy day, and I have not thought about this at all until this point. So Kevin, there is a movie. That is coming out soon. Its trailer just dropped, and it's by it's it's a trailer for a movie that's by an author you love. It's by it's a Stephen King trailer. Dark Dark Tower trailer came out and it dropped. I want to get your opinion on that, but only after you know that we're going to be talking about everyone's favorite Stephen King movie, and by that I mean the, the one stand. that the one that he directed while he did so much coke it was unbelievable. Maximum Overdrive. Oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> so let's go ahead and first first though. In all seriousness, he, he directed that. Yeah, I had no clue. He directed the, uh, the entire soundtrack's by ACDC, by the way. Okay, yeah. so before we go into <laughs> maximum, amazing. maximum Overdrive, which is uh, it's amazingly bad. I own it on two formats, oh and God. I am not at all ashamed. Is this, one is, of them's VHS. So it is I mean, such I a bad it. movie, but we'll talk about. But in the, like a it's great got Emilio way. Estevez in a great way. I'm not trying to the bad. It's I better love, than Men at Work. <laughs> I both love and hate Debatable. this movie. All right, anyway. Kevin, did you watch the Dark Tower trailer? I have not watched the Dark Tower trailer. I've seen some stills, and I could not be happier with the casting. I think that people that are unhappy about the casting have obvious personality defects. They're right, racists? Is that what you call it? That, that would be a, that'd be a uh, defect. Okay. One, one, uh, one <laughs> thing. Idris Elba, you can cast him as anything. You could put him as Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. This and is I'm true. Down. He'd kill it. He'd, yeah, kill, he'd kill it. it. Uh, okay, I love, I love uh, Idris Elba. I think Matthew McConaughey as the bad guy looks awesome. Yeah. It looks really cool. Uh, the trailer was like not. I just wish he would stop trying to sell Roland to Buick. It's not like the books. <laughs> it's a Cadillac, Kevin. <laughs> In uh, yourself. Whatever. In my, my Cadillac. So, uh, alright, alright. So the, uh, anyway, the, the Actually, thing. Actually, in this case, it's, it's, well, I'm not gonna give away the spoiler, but there's a, there's a line from, uh, Dazed and Confused that'll work really well. There, the, these, it looks okay. It looks okay. Um, the dark, it, it's it's just it's because it's a continuation and not like a true sequel or a remake or anything like that. It's just like a weird like they're they're not they're like trying to capture the spirit of it. Like it's just really hard. They to, didn't take one book, right? It's really you know it's re- they didn't take any of the books. It's like right. it com- kind of exists outside that a little bit. It's really hard to catch the that you know there's a vibe to the books that they're not really catching. Yeah. What if I I think if I remove how much I like the books. From the movie, I'm going to love the movie. And I'm good at doing that, so I probably will like the movie. Other people who can't do that are, might struggle with this one. Did you read The Wind in the Keyhole? Which which one? That was the one that came out after the series was over, nope. and it was a standalone story. Uh-uh. I think this, you'll probably have to enter with the same frame of mind. So if you've read all the books, then figure this is like The Wind in the Keyhole, for those of you who did it. You're jumping back into the world and picking a story from a point in time along the continuum. All right, but Kevin, you know what? This is good talk. I like that we're talking about this because that actually matters. Let's talk about something that doesn't matter. That's the $9 million budget, $7.4 million box office take of Maximum Overdrive. Kevin, what's sweet about Maximum Overdrive other than the Besides fact everything? ACDC did the whole soundtrack. Uh, let's see. We have... My my personal favorite Stephen King cameo in any of his movies. I was going to say, this is... Eric, if you want to take this. <laughs> Honey, this machine just called me an asshole. Yeah. And, and he's, that's, of course, a uh, a bank machine. And that's yes, Stephen that King is Stephen King from wife. Maine. 
doing a fake Texas accent at a at an ATM machine. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the plotline of this movie is that uh, sorry, spoilers, sorry, is that a asteroid is passing over the Earth, and in the trail of the asteroid, there is an alien vessel that is sending out frequencies that is causing all electronic mechanisms on Earth to go haywire and rebel against their human overlords. And become sentient. And and this is also explained in, like... This the, is explained in... The a, worst way you can explain anything in a movie. At the end of the movie, yes. all of the end of Breakfast Club, they, they do, like, a end of the movie, like, montage where they explain that this happened. So yeah. this movie is it's, it's a almost collection like a skill, of too. beautifully <laughs> crap scenes. Uh, uh, the best cameo in the movie, Kevin. The best cameo is the Green Goblin hood ornament <laughs> on that giant truck. Because on the even, front of the toy truck. Yeah, because even as a child or as a as a as a I don't know twelve year old, eleven year old watching this movie, I was like. Did Marvel let them use the Green Goblin on that giant truck? Is that where the nine million dollars came from? <laughs> that was where the nine million dollars. That's where seven. Emilio Estevez, seven hundred thousand. One point. I'm sorry, eight point three on the Green Goblin. Emilio Estevez is one of the only real actors in this whole movie. I now I haven't seen this in a long time. Is this one of those things where like, oh yeah, there's a bunch of character actors, or is it people we've never seen? It's again? a bunch of like. B-roll people. The guy who plays the uh, perverted Bible salesman. Um, <laughs> I forgot. He is someone that you recognize. Nathan is totally going to Wikipedia with all these people, and there's no pictures coming up. That is a bad sign. Okay, the me- actress who played the uh, um, the diner waitress the who waitress. goes insane oh. and uh, gets gunned down by the... Uh, army jeep with the uh, sentient small machine gun on the back um, you'll recognize her as being a waitress in a bunch of stuff like it's it's like she, that kind of thing she nailed that down okay. so I'm I'm <laughs> I've read um, in the past I've read this article before this uh, slash film does these oral histories of like these kind of b-level like mediocre movies yeah, it is. and there's um there's a lot of cool quotes in this here so, so I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some quotes um he referring to Stephen King was like a child in a circus and this is a very strange thing of Stephen King because Stephen King like liked horror I'm sure that he was creating ahead of time something dangerous because he was excited about it he liked very much the extreme danger every day we had a security call because the movie was a very dangerous movie every day there was explosions every day was very dangerous I was scared sometimes I was scared because I remember Stephen King had a kind of pleasure to see these difficult situations and Laura who's an actress in the movie says I was certain I was going to get run down of a truck because they had to come within inches of us, you know? There was always this hint of danger. There were multiple accidents on set where people got hurt during the filming of this movie. And if you watch uh, the scenes, it's not surprising. Armando Nanuzzi lost an eye. He Whoa. sued and got $18 million because of unsafe working practices. Uh, there was just crazy, crazy stuff happened uh, on this in the, during the filming of this movie. Uh, my question is... Was this mostly just because Stephen King was on a mountain of cocaine, or was there another <laughs> another reason for this? It was cursed, Nathan. It was cursed. Uh, it was the '80s, and they were filming a dangerous movie. Like, if you watch the movie, which I highly recommend, 
Go in, watch this movie. Very enjoyable. It is extremely enjoyable. It is not good. It is just really enjoyable. Here at the Seahawks Nest, we will, you know, talk about movies we love, but we'll also talk about movies we love that we admit are bad, but there's still something about them that is worth watching. It's charming in the way that the Starship Troopers movie was charming. (laughs) But it's probably not as good as the Starship Troopers movie. Um but it's more charming somehow. There's a scene where you see a Cessna crash into the top of a short bus. Like, there's no one inside of either one. That kind of makes it even better. Um, <laughs> there's, But there are so many scenes in this movie that rely on people quickly scrambling into small spaces while large trucks roll past them. Like, there's got to have been some, several broken bones. Like, there were so many timing-based scenes. And I imagine the guy who lost his eye, it was probably like, here, wrestle with this electric knife. Nope. Was probably the scene. Nope. This is the scene. You ready? I can tell you the oral history of this incident yep. if you would like. Sylvia, I do not know if you already know, but the movie there was a big accident. Would you like me to tell you? And then Joe says, yes, I was there. I'm afraid. It was kind of like the film coming to life, so to speak. I'm. It's hard to imagine it happened, but it happened. So then I'm going to skip down. We were shooting a scene with a lawnmower. The machine that cut the grass was following oh my God, a boy that, to kill him. It's the intro scene. And we put a camera on the ground with a piece of wood beneath it to wedge it. Okay? And I remember Arman Nutsi asked to Stephen King, can we take out the blades? But Stephen King says, no, no, I like to see them. And Armando says, then they, these people all have thick Italian accents because this movie was made by an Italian, really famous Italian producer, and a bunch of Italian people worked on it. Okay? Let me just... Make that clear. No, no, I like to see them, Armando say, but we don't see them in the shot. But Stephen King says, no, no, better that that you let it. So many times the camera operator asks him to take out the blades, and then many times Stephen King says, no, there's no effing way we have to, you know, obviously he didn't say it. There's, there's an F word here. We have to be as real as possible. So then he would say speed, and the lawnmower was supposed to go. The lawnmower was from radio controlled and narratively was supposed to go out of control and have a soul of its own, machines taking over, and all that stuff. But the first time they tried to do it, it didn't drive. So they pumped up the power. Then they tried it again, and it didn't drive. So they pumped up the power again. Then the third time, it drives, and it's going really fast, and it's spinning really fast, too. So it's, like, going really, really fast. And so it starts to go, and Stephen King never says to stop the scene. So it rolls over the camera. It gets to the camera. It chews up the hard plastic that covers the lens. It goes over and over it. And the wedge gets caught in the blade, that wedge that they had used to prop it up. And then that wet, the lawnmower splits the wood and... It shoots the wood back at the camera operators and all the other people, and the guy it went through the guy's eye. Oh. That is vicious. That's and awful. Then, so then they asked him, like, hey, like, why didn't we stop the scene? And then the guy who was doing the special effects was like, well, the director never said stop. And so then everyone was yelling at Stephen King, like, why didn't you stop this scene? You know? He's and like, I'm he not was a too director. Busy watching the scene, and he was not like, a director. He was, yeah, he was like, not a director. He didn't know what to do. Like, he was just, he was like in shock. And I think that's the whole problem with the movie was that. They didn't have an actual director. Like Stephen King's a great writer, not a director. That's uh, that's that's really tragic. That sucks. Yeah, and I think like this movie has a lot of cool action in it for an old movie, and I think you can see that sense of danger on the screen. You yeah. know, there is this movie when you're watching it, you're like, oh man, this is crazy. Uh, like this is like insane. Like the stuff that's happening in this movie is, in, but it's also ridiculously stupid. Oh yeah, like it and is. And there's so, so dumb. many cheesy dialogues. Like, yeah, the the uh, Emilio Estevez has a love interest. Most of their dialogue is really cheesy. There's a newlywed couple that basically from the first scene you kind of hope die early. Spoiler, they don't. You're stuck with them the whole movie. Yeah, and um, yeah, this movie, it's it's like it's, it's like, enjoyably charming. It's just 
by. It's it's just B. It's quintessentially B. It's a B movie to the max for sure. Um, yeah, and then like, and the thing is too is like the the thing I don't like about the movie. I think the thing that makes it kind of like. This movie could have been pretty good, but the reason the characters survive has nothing to do with the characters at all. Like, it's like something else happens, and then all of a sudden, like, all these machines aren't alive anymore. And No. I mean, they didn't do anything. Well, you remember what they do. There's an island off the coast where you're not allowed to have vehicles. It's like... Uh, and like you have there. like they almost no there. electronics. Yeah. And so they sneak away to the docks and they steal a yacht. And as they're sailing away, they do the close credits and explain the entire plot of the movie. Yes. Uh, this, this has to be asked. It's still not great, but. <laughs> but I mean, like, at the end of the movie, like, the machines are not taking over anymore. Like, well, remember they were trying to get like, gas. They, like, make they say, clear. like, two days later it stopped. They're basically. like, you need to pump my gas. You need to keep me going or I'm going to kill you. And it's kind of like this, this symbiotic relationship. Yeah, the trucks are holding them hostage for gas. Yeah. So, which is also amazing and bad. It it's a, it's there's a, a scene where they're exhaustedly the only plot point. pumping gas, and so they do it like it's like it's a trench warfare scene. <laughs> like they're all like about to pass out from being so tired from pumping gas in all of these trucks. All right, Kevin, one more thing. They made another movie based on Stephen King's USA, trucks. It was a USA original, wasn't it? No, it's a Canadian movie. I've seen and the it's movie called Trucks. Yep. You've seen this? I've seen Trucks. How bad is it? It's actually. What? Uh, it's it's a better movie with less charm, so it's less enjoyable. Yeah, I was gonna say. So it's like if the movie was slightly better made, but they took out all the things you're like, this movie sucks. I love it. So this is like the made for TV version of The Shining. I yes, it's okay. exactly like the made for TV. Is version it, of so the it's more like the book, but not as good. Yes. Okay, there we go. That's interesting. What is I gotta ask this question of the of Maximum Overdrive? Doesn't trucks have the dad from Step by Step? <laughs> <laughs> I do. Patrick not. Duffy. I do not know. <laughs> it has someone like that. Oh, Timothy Busfield. Starring Timothy Busfield. I just saw it. And where's Timothy Busfield from? I believe he's from uh, 30-something. He's 59. He's been in uh, Trapper John, MD. Uh, one, <laughs> one episode of Salon Order. Uh, he was on the wet, 28 episodes of The West Wing as Danny Concannon. Uh, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. Let me say this about uh, this, this movie. Yeah. <laughs> the plot is really stupid too like when the trucks are all lining up so they can give them gas the trucks that were previously trying to murder them they're like lining up in their help I don't know it's just so, there's so many weird things in this movie yes there's a it's, lot this movie Stephen didn't King care how much worst. sense it made yeah what's the worst death in this movie all uh, of them no it's the um, it's the person who is hanging out of their bedroom window okay. uh, who clearly it's implied that they were killed by their electric razor but <laughs> the cord of the electric razor is wrapped around their neck and so it doesn't really uh, that doesn't even follow the bullshit not really set of rules that they made up but how did it control its own cord this is, this is too much too many questions Kevin Nathan, do you have a favorite death in this movie or, or no. a worse death? I, I get. I mean, the, when the trucks try to drive through things and then like get fall, them, into, the fall into the basement <laughs> and stuff, I'm just like, I'm like, man, these trucks are dumb. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's just so stupid. Uh, the the steamroller scene really bothered me as a kid. Like I I thought that was like a good camera trick. I don't know if it stands up now. That's kind of horrifying. Yeah, it was just like, oh no, it's oh that's terrible. Yeah, Austin Powers totally ripped that off. Yes, yes, they did. 
yeah, and they uh, definitely parodied it. Uh, best uh, best promotional advertisement advertisement in that movie, Mountain Dew. <laughs> I knew you'd remember, Kevin. Well, I thought it was the cigarette ads. But, oh, when the man. guy goes to the cigarette machine and it starts blinking. Forgot he just about the cigarette machine. Lots of machine. All right, well, he speaks jive. Kevin, I think that should take us home. So, for uh, for Kevin Garber, who loves Maximum Overdrive, for yes. Eric Ronnebeck, who respects Maximum Overdrive, yes. and for me, who respects how much cocaine <laughs> they did during the filming of Maximum Overdrive. This is the Seahawks Nest Podcast. We'll see you next week. Go Hawks.